So you don't want to slip too far to the serious side. Hmm? Right? Don't slip too f The protectors of stillness slip too far to the serious side. Right? Where you can't, where it's too fragile to walk normally because you have to protect something here called silence. And that silence, the real silence, the real stillness does not need protection. Right? Conditional silence needs protection. But then if we get too bent or too focused on the conditional silence, we'll get too serious. The unconditional stillness that is really where this practice is taking us will keep us light. It'll keep us joyful. Don't forget that. Okay. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the fourth foundation tonight. We've been on the journey through the three foundations, and tonight I want to talk about the fourth, but I also want to talk, next week I'll talk about what it looks like when, in terms of application of these foundations. What does it look like when, because I think it's a, it's a, he's laying out a practice for us. Not only the evolution of consciousness, but also how to practice, how to apply that evolution of consciousness to the practice. <clears throat> and may I say, this is not going to meet anyone's strict definition of what you know about the Satipatthana Sutta, nor do I want it to. If we can't breathe life into this thing and to have it really come alive with current metaphors and current um, wonder, because that's what it, if his teaching didn't contain wonder, wonder, well, I wouldn't have wanted to attend. But I think it did. And I think we need to breathe that back into the life of the sutta. So that's what I will attempt to do tonight. But more importantly, I want you to feel stretched into your own wonder. Because you can listen to this in one of three ways. One, you can sit kind of terrified as to where I'm taking you and sort of fastening your seatbelts like a roller coaster ride, you know, like can't wait till it's over, right? And some, some people relate to it. <laughs> the other way you can do it is to open up and just let this pour through you and not criticize it as to what your own thoughts about the Satipatthana Sutta and where I'm going where I don't believe that and that's not written anywhere and all of that. You can do it that way. You can open up and just let this be an intuitive movement taking you to where I'm pointing and have immediate access to that. Or you can let it sit with you and then move out with some questions. Questions are beautiful because it makes what I'm saying into your it brings it into your empowerment. So what is, what's going on? I don't know. Let me think of that. You're not, not accepting it, not rejecting it, but playing it upon your own practice, your, within your own practice experience. So four foundations. 
Now, many of you weren't here <coughs> earlier, so I always feel like I have to, you know, bring the tale up to date. So we'll talk a little bit about the first three foundations before we move into the fourth. But I want to, um, there's something very important here that I want to bring up right away. And that is, uh, th this is, I believe, my own interpretation of these four foundations is that he plays us through form and then between the third and fourth foundation, there's a paradigm shift. He moves us out of ourselves into a full embodiment of wonder. And nothing remains the same. That's an awakening out of the form we have been in. Now, what would be the, what would be the point of a Buddha's teaching if it didn't include that? So where is it that we find that within his teaching? And I think we have located it very prominently within these four foundations. So let's see from that interpretation where we're headed here. The first foundation. It's where we start. It's like, oh, you know, where do I go here? in my busy life with the noise and the turbulence and the reactivity? Where can I find some solace? Where can I find some settledness? And we happen upon it, perhaps through a skillful teaching like this one, where we settle into the body it's not asking for a settled environment. It's not asking for a specific enclosure because the body is settled in itself. And so when we enter it, we can become as settled as if, if we release, if we release our need to wander from it. And so it's a natural field in which consciousness can rest. Remembering that it's never consciousness that leaves the body. It's never said differently. It's always the mind that leaves the body. Consciousness can always be found within the body as well. And so if we're willing not to move out where the mind is taking us, we can move back to where the body is very settled within itself. And so it's a natural retreat format. We carry it wherever we go. But it's useless unless there's an intentionality that accompanies whatever foundation we are on. And the foundation, this first foundation, has to be accompanied with an intentionality, a a resolution of heart that really feels the importance of this settlement of what the body offers that life in all of its turbulence cannot. Where I can find the oasis of myself. Where I can be at home and actually rest for a while.
And yes, in the beginning, it feels very much like mine. And so we start here. This is the gate towards a settlement, but also a curiosity. Once we settle within ourselves, once we establish some sense of relaxation within this form, like anything, we get curious about it. And so it explores the next evolution within this foundation is the exploration of what this foundation is, what this body is. So it's not just a starting place, although it is a starting place, it also holds enormous potential for our own sense of growth and wonderment. And we are invited to be curious within the body without bringing remembrance and knowledge to it. Now that's disarms us because it's through our knowledge and remembrance that we establish the certainty of what the body is. So he's asking us to enter the body then at some point begin to question what we just entered. Now there's a natural curiosity that comes when you just embody yourself because what we thought the mirror showed was so hard and three-dimensional experientially doesn't hold that at all. It's like, whoa, what is this thing? It feels more like we're entering the field of quantum mechanics, the uncertainty of things, where there is no absolute resolution of form, that things are moving, popping, rising, passing away. And here's a, a caveat, a warning, that form can pull us into that subtlety endlessly. We can get fascinated with this journey of impermanence. Because it gets more and more subtle. It's like the first time we looked through a microscope and we actually saw a cell divide. And we noticed the different facets of the cell, the mitochondria, the whatever. And you're entering another world. And so too, when we enter the body, not through knowledge or remembrance, but through the actual experience, we gain an orientation to the body that we haven't really known about anything. And we also have a certain sense in us that this is not just a definition or an exploration of the body, but of all things, in which the body is one thing among all things. And that if this is true for this live thing, it's true for other live things. And that this one was invited, we were invited in because not only did it show us in general what life was, but it was also a very personal and focused sense of me and my ownership of the body. So part of what we enter is this huge personal tone that we give to the body, that it's mine, that it's me in its extreme sense, 
or that is a possession of mine and it's lesser. And so what is this sense of mine in the body? What does that have to do with the body? What is, where do we put mine when we are experiencing the body as it is? Where does my fit in that? Where does my arise within what is being experienced as body? Because I don't see it in there. And so the wonderment of what I'm not seeing as well as what I am leads to the second foundation. Where does the my come from? Still remaining in the body, we never have to journey much in any direction. We ask that question. Now this does a couple of things. First of it, it gives us a settled, a sense of settledness to whatever the exploration is. It gives us a place to ask the questions from. And from, for much of our early practice, and even into it, having that sense of stability of self from asking those questions is extraordinarily important, and the body provides that. So I'm not going to just move on now to a second foundation. I'm going to stay very much within the stability and security of the body as I explore this next foundation. Because the next foundation, when we are exploring the mind, has a confusion to it. We begin to crack open the possessiveness of our life. Life looks very different after that opening. So we need that stability. We need the reassurance that comes conceptually from just being in the body and then asking questions from it. So we begin to explore this second foundation. What am I in the body? And what makes life something? Because now I'm exploring not just how the body becomes something and how I become something within the body, but what makes anything what I seem to call it, what I interpret it to be. Why, when I look out, do I see forms that hold a particular dimension in themselves? I'm making something from, I'm making something that may not inherently hold that. I'm making something, I'm making nothing into something. Making nothing into something. That's what I began to sense was happening in the body. Because when I entered the body without remembrance and my history with it, it didn't hold itself to the form and identification that I knew it to be. Now I look out and I'm beginning to sense that that's true for all things. And I'm beginning to see the play of how the mind creates all things from it. Because through the mind, not through any other way, there's no creation here outside of what the mind creates. 
I place objectivity on something so that it can be pleasant and I can pursue it, or unpleasant and avoid it. I do that. The mind does that. That the object itself doesn't hold intrinsically those feelings. And I see how I rush in with a narrative, my history, my knowledge, about something to form it into something I can then manipulate and function. And I see that. Not conceptually. I see it through the actual experience of the making of a thing itself. Extraordinary. Curiosity beyond imagination. Wonderful. And I see it. And it just, it hooks me. Because now I'm beginning to see how this world is created from my own imagination. I blow the balloon up. And so when I apply that to what I know, because I'm in my body, when I apply that to the sense of me, when I look and see how the sense of me is also arising with each thing I impart or project onto, those things are relative to one another. If I project something onto something, give it a story, then there's a storyteller who is doing the projection. And that that sense of me arises with the object arising. And this has all been done from the laboratory of the body, you might say. I haven't had to leave. In fact, if I'm dedicated enough and focused enough, this is an ongoing exploration regardless of environment. Remember that as you're leaving here. Now comes the, many of us, the place where many of us are. And now we can go up to the third foundation, and back to the first, and up to the second, down to the first, uh, like this. It's not all linear, right? In fact, all of this can, we can remain within the body through the entire exploration. But this third foundation, I think, is vastly misunderstood. And that is that it's like there are times when we feel awareness is very accessible. And that we see the states of mind, just this is arising, just this. And it's so obvious, isn't it? And this beautiful sense of freedom from the personalization of what the mind has always possessed. And yet, then we fall back into the shell of self, and we get lost acting out those states of mind. But then there are moments more frequent, as we bring more sincerity to our practice, in which there are times when we are, have broken out of that shell. 
Now, broken out of that shell doesn't mean free of that shell, because egoically, we may have the sense of ego, that sense of controlling, manipulation, resistance, and all of that, that may become very slight and very ephemeral within this exploration. But there's a, another layer to ego that I call the film of self, in which the entire experience is kind of caught, is kind of corralled around the sense of I, of self. That I'm out there looking at this. I'm still the observer. Even that is too gross. It's more like a kind of knowing it's happening. Me knowing it's happening. And this film of self is part of what's being played upon in this third foundation. The third foundation being one in which mind is really being seen impersonally. And the Buddha walks us through all sense of where we can claim reference to it. When experience is vast and empty, and when it's not vast and empty, when it's he doesn't give us any place to put our self-reference in relationship to an experience. He cleans house in this third foundation. Nowhere to stand. And yet, the film of self, film of self is still, it's a very durable film. <laughs> but we'll get to it in the fourth. <laughs> the film of self is still, is still it's just a sense of, oh, I see. I, oh, I, yeah, I'm empty. Oh, empty, I'm empty. The self is empty. It's just a little slight referencing, right? Now, the sense of self can walk itself no further. It cannot walk itself to the fourth foundation. It cannot do that. Here is where the paradigm shift occurs where the transformation, where awakening happens. This is a paradigm shift where figure ground, fig, the figure becomes the ground and the ground the figure. Where we irreversibly know that we are being birthed within the experience of awareness rather than having the experience of awareness, it is birthing us. And it's seen, it's seen now how are you going to talk about that? You see, how do you talk about that? So that it becomes a foundation because everybody who hasn't seen that will somehow locate themselves back into the figure that has just switched to the ground, but they'll bring themselves back into the figure and talk about it from a figure point of view. And that's where I think this thing has been corrupted. Now I want to use an analogy 
invited an analogy into this talk that may be able to show us what I'm hinting at here. All of us have gone to the movies. And we sit in rapt attention to the film that's being delivered from the projector onto a screen. Now, almost no one goes to the movies to see the screen. You give me that? Because it's not interesting. If you want to know what the details of the movie, the life, the activity, the drama, it's, it gets me involved. It allows me to feel empathetic. The emotions arise within it. Okay. But here's a question. Has the film ever swayed or distanced itself from the screen at any time? No. Why is it that we don't see the screen? Because the screen and the film are one and the same. You can't separate the screen from the film. Because we're interested in the content, the form that the film is taking. The movement of the film in time gives it life, although frame by frame, it's still life. But in the movement of the film through light onto the screen, it appears to be of action and three-dimensional. The screen is the fourth foundation. Just the film is the third foundation. Okay? Just, the de just what's going on. Not the story, just the images on the screen. But in order to know the images on the screen and their, their sense of how they're playing out, we have to be in the audience. The screen, just the point of view of screen, there needs not be anyone in the audience. It doesn't need an interpretation. It doesn't need any conceptual movement. Now that's probably a poor analogy, but it's the only one I could come up with that might be helpful in getting a sense of this. So the sense of I am seeing is seen through the first foundation, right? I am seeing, I'm in my body, and I'm seeing this, and I'm seeing that. And all of our practice history, or much of our early practice history, comes from that sense of I am seeing this, and I'm seeing that, and I'm working with this. And what are you doing on your practice? Well, I'm working with this thing. I'm working with this now. How am I seeing? How does seeing take its form and representation. That's the second foundation. How, do I, how is there something imparted to what I see? 
just seeing is the third foundation. Nothing but seeing is the fourth foundation. When there's nothing but seeing, what can you say about it? As Sky rightly spoke, you can't even see the seeing. You can sense it, but how can you see something that is your essence? There's no such thing as being aware of aware. You can sense it. It's more visceral. And you can live it. But you can't objectify it. Because there's nothing outside of it to see from. So what we have done is extracted ourselves from form. What we have done is understood the path, the spiritual path, is the movement from form to formless. And most of us begrudge that we would rather stay in form and work our way out, expecting at some point that their form will just dissipate into the formless or something. I don't know how we expect it to, but form never does that. Form can't suddenly dissolve into the formless. If we are pursuing form, want anything from form, which is often the relationship we have with our practiced form, then it will stay formed. And even if we move our practice into much more subtle areas of form, so that we're seeing from the quantic, quantum mechanics of reality, the uncertainty of reality, that's still an expression of form. There's no resolution to that. There's no ending to that. Because the sense of I that is arising in fascination of the form it is seeing creates the very division that we are trying to end through the practice. So this is true wonderment, is it not? So what is it, you see, how is it that the way the fourth foundation is framed is framed the way it is? I find this very curious. You see, from the point of view of the screen, we can talk about the display of film that's on it. And so sometimes the display that is on that cap captures attention so that now we're sitting in the audience looking at the film again. And we keep getting ourselves into predicaments, into situations, having states of mind arise in which we lose the sense of the formless and find ourselves back within form. And so this play out, which is the final chapter 
of any spiritual tradition, of any path of awakening, this play out between losing ourselves again in form and coming back into formless and losing ourselves again in form and coming back into form plays itself out endlessly because the momentum, the karmic momentum that we have invested in each expression of form doesn't just die. It continues to show itself. And we continue to get interested in that manifestation and when we do so, we are in the audience watching the film. Nothing wrong with that. It just takes a while to understand what it is that's occurring. Sitting out there and having this... The first thing that needs to occur is that there's a genuine appreciation for being the screen. Now we come into the theater and we want to be the screen. Enough of the film. Enough of the antics of the drama. I've seen so many stories. How many more do I need to? That was an Academy Award winner last week. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, it just, after a while, we've got run the gamut. And yet, it's not that life is negated or there's any aversion to it. It's just, there's so much more settledness, so much more ease in watching the screen. I'm, this, I'm carrying this far too far, this m metaphor. Just, <laughs> I seem to hook up, it's hooked into my mind now, so I've kind of got to play it out here. So as I sit and watch it, Sometimes it's very engaging because there's still reactive components where there are assumptions based within the film that I still believe about myself that call me back into the character of the film, that get me back into the character of the film. It's a better way of saying it. And then, you know, I, I work with it and then it doesn't anymore and then it starts. But it speeds up considerably once there has been a paradigm shift because you're not fooled. You know the screen and you know the film. And you know the film is never going to lead to the screen. That something else has to happen in us to even be interested in seeing the screen. But once the screen is seen, there is enormous resolution of heart and satisfaction in that seeing and joy. And then as it comes back, as it as pierces through over time, there is a, just a, it just settles in to the cells of the body. This is a cellular change back to foundation one a complete loop. There is a complete reorganization of the cells, an alteration that it can never go back, holding the density and ignorance that it once did.
and there is no doubt about what the body is in relationship to all other objects. And there is a certainty of how objects are formed and an absolute conviction that none of this has anything to do with anyone. And those working in tandem together bring the crucible, the right temperature, the right... and awakening occurs. Don't ever doubt the proximity of awakening. How far is the screen from the movie? That's how close this is to each one of us as we sit here. It's just that this movie still fascinates. That's all. That's all. And so much of Buddhism and any spiritual tradition is to try to show us that it's not worth our soul attention. Because it's a story. And what does this moment this everlasting moment have to do with a story. All the story has ever given me is a character on the film. All the story has ever given me was a place that I could individuate in life. And when we're finished individuating, that is when the character has played out its scenes, we want to stop acting. And it's a deep yearning. That's the deep yearning that the, the deep yearning for completion for the arrest of movement, for the stillness of non-movement. in which everything that we have been missing in movement is provided in stillness. The only thing that it doesn't allow us is the individuation. That's the price, that's the ticket price to get into the movie theater. We don't get to keep that. But it was a fictional character the entire time. Cary Grant has long since died. <laughs> Whoever you see up there is not around anymore. In fact, never mind. So this is a trip into wonder. 
This is a trip into the mystery of life. This is the uprooting of certainty. This is where knowledge cannot enter. But where something else can. Once known, forever known. No one doubt here that it isn't accessible. Don't doubt that. Go where you need to work in order to make it accessible. If you bypass anything, it will come back to haunt you. You can't get over any part of yourself on your way to completion because that part of yourself will call you back into the audience. And that is the most mundane part of you, the part that is self-disliking or whatever it might be. This is down in dirty work. This is getting your fingernails blackened with dirt. This is muddy, poison ivy on your arm, worms. <laughs> down and dirty. And if you really, if your sincerity and if your intention is really focused in the right area, you'll go there. I don't care what it requires. I'll go there and I'll do whatever work is necessary so that that part of me no longer pulls me back. And that means solidifying ourselves so that we have a definition and know ourselves within that before we can ever start taking ourselves apart. Okay, let it be so. <laughs> Can we sit for a minute or two? No, be, 